0: you find Joshua chapter 5 this morning. We'll pick up in verse number 13 this morning, Joshua chapter 5, begin to read in verse 13. This morning I will speak to you on this subject, a warrior for Christ, a warrior for Christ. Joshua chapter 5, we'll begin to read in verse 13. Won't you stand with me, all those that can, that are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. We're in Joshua chapter 5, we begin to read in verse number 13, the Bible says these words. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his Servant. Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand, its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all your men of war. You shall go around. The city wants this you shall do six days and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpet. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. When you hear the sound of the trumpet that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down and the people will go up, every man straight before him. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take the ark of the covenant, let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make a noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day that you shall shout, then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circled the city, going round at once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp, and Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, went on continually and blew with the trumpets, and the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp. So they did six days. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day, and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. And on that day, only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened, when the priest blew the trumpet, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Let's pray together. Father, we pray your spirit would speak to our hearts and, Lord, to our souls today. And God, I pray, Lord, you'll help us to focus now. Lord, the devil have us to miss truths that are in this text today. God, there is a great wall that's before us uh, in this world. Lord, it's it's lostness. It is the souls of men and women who are doomed and damned for hell unless something happens in their life. God, you've called us to be a part of sharing the good news, living a life of holiness and righteousness before these people, Lord, who, who we once were. If it weren't for the grace of God, Lord, and someone who shared with us. and God, I pray that we'll be serious-minded about the mission in these days. Strip apathy and indifference from us. God, I pray you'll make us hard-nosed and strong-willed in the Holy Spirit. God, you'll find us faithful when you come. Lord, still doing the mission that you gave us to do. I pray these truths that are in this text will mark our lives as warriors for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. And I invite you to be seated. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. Uh, some of my most favorite passages, verses in all the Bible. The Apostle Paul wrote to a young pastor uh, who was just beginning his ministry. The Apostle Paul, he was fast approaching to where he would depart into the Lord's presence. But he said this. Now remember. Paul's about to have a meeting with an axe. It's going to touch his neck and then separate his head from his body. But in all the second Timothy, you don't really hear any sense of regret. You don't read any word that he shares with Timothy, Timothy trying to encourage him to ease up, uh, to be a little softer uh, than he was in ministry. No, he says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare, entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. In chapter 4, in his final verses, he says, I have fought the good fight. For the Apostle Paul certainly knew about warfare. For him, it was on two fronts. There was a fight within to stay morally pure before the Lord, but also there was a fight for souls. I personally believe, uh, after several years in ministry, one of the great problems... In the local church, and really one of the reasons our country's in the shape that it's in is our church doesn't have warriors for Christ in it. We've got a lot of spiritual pacifists. Uh, they want more of a peaceful existence spiritually in the world. They're they're conscientious spiritual objectors. Uh, they're they're draft dodgers. They want all the freedoms that Christ provides, but they don't want to be a warrior. For the Lord Jesus Christ and the fight that he's called every Christian to be a part of. Joshua was a warrior for the Lord Jesus Christ. And his life as such was marked by four distinct areas. There was sacred worship. There was a surrendered will. There was a sanctified walk. And then there was that spiritual warfare. Notice first off this morning, his sacred worship. Uh, Look again what the Bible says in verse number 13 of chapter 5 of the book of Joshua. The Bible says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, they lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I've now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth. He worshiped, and he said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? We, We briefly examined this at the conclusion of our message last week. Uh, this was the divine director. Uh, this is a pre-New Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Joshua is surveilling Jericho. Uh, they're, 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 they're prepared for the work. But now it's time to go and fight. And he's reconning. He's looking. And he sees this man over to one side. And he has a sword drawn. He's ready to fight. And so he walks up to him and he says, "You know, Are you for us? Or are you for them? And as I've already shared with you, you know, this was a pre-New Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. He identifies himself as the commander of the Lord's army. This was not the first time that Joshua had ever seen him. Remember Exodus chapter 14 and verse 19, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord led the nation of Israel out of Egypt, but as the Red Sea was before them, that same angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, he went behind them, and then the cloud that was the Shekinah glory of God. It joined him, and there they stood between the nation of Israel and certain death of the army of Egypt. And so Joshua was familiar with the angel of the Lord. But he, before he knew who he was, he asked him, he says, Are you for us, uh, or are you for our enemy? And then he gives him the answer in verse number 14. He just said, No. No. And that wasn't the answer he was looking for, but then he finished up. But as commander of the Lord's army, I've come. I shared this with our church family on Wednesday night. I want you to hear me this morning. There's a lot of military units often. It'll be in the company form, uh, a rifle company. They have a lot of assets that will be attached to them for whatever mission that is before them. And so a rifle company, and this is a, a company of men who are armed with rifles, who are trained in, Infantry, tactics, rangers, uh, that's raids, recons, and ambushes. But they'll have these different assets that will be attached to them. Uh, it'll be an air asset, an artillery asset, an engineer asset, medical assets. And so these are groups or individuals who are attached, who are specialists. They can help in certain types of functions that the company itself is not uh, skilled in. And so don't miss this. When they get into a pinch, let's say they, they come up to an area that's heavily, heavily fortified with wire and there's booby traps that are in it. Well, Then they'll call their engineer asset and these sappers will come with Bangalore torpedoes and they'll blow a breach in the wire. They'll begin to take down all of these booby traps that are there made out of a different explosives, so that the unit can have safe passage through. They're not always needed, but when they are needed, they're there... As an asset. Friend, I want you to listen to me. There's a lot of people that treat the Lord Jesus Christ just like that. He's just a spiritual asset. You know, I I don't need him in my day-to-day walk. But when I get in a pinch, thank God I have him as an asset that I can pull out and he can help me out of this need. Friend, listen, Christ says right here in this passage, Jesus didn't come to be an asset to your life. He came to command it. He came to command it. And you'll never experience the fullness of Christ until you see Him as the commander of your life. And that must be on, in all phases of your life. He says, no. And so, w- once we understand the revelation of Christ, that was Christ's revelation to Joshua about himself. No, as commander of the Lord's army, I've come. Then worship takes place. N- notice what happens. The, the Bible says, when, when Joshua heard these things... He, he, Jesus, said, no, this commander of the Lord's army, I have now come. So Joshua hears these things. Christ has declared something about himself to Joshua. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and he worshiped him. Worship is our humble, obedient, and thankful response to all that God has revealed himself to be through his word and through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll say that again for you. Worship is our humble, obedient, and thankful response to all that God has revealed himself to be through his word and through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. First off, Joshua's worship it was marked by humility. Verse 14 says, "He fell to his face." He didn't stand there and talk to him like he's buddy. And I'm telling you, much of contemporary Christian teaching today is simply this, Jesus Christ is he's just our buddy. Friend, he is holy God. He is to be reverenced, and he is to be respected. And Joshua recognized he wasn't just in another soldier's presence. He was in the presence of God in human flesh. And so he, he humbled himself. And notice what the Bible says in verse 14. Look at your text. He fell on his face, and the Bible says, to the earth, uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as Joshua wrote the book of Joshua, he wanted to make sure that we knew, friend, that he couldn't get any lower He didn't keep himself an inch off the ground. He didn't say, well, I I don't want to get my shirt dirty. He wasn't worried what his face was going to look like when he stood up. He humbled himself before a holy God. And worship must be marked by humility. Not only that, it was marked by obedience. Look at chapter 6 and verse number 7. The Bible says, then he, that's Joshua, said to the people, proceed, March around the city. Let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. Uh, Verse 16, And the seventh time it happened when the priest blew the trumpet, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Well, how did Joshua know to say those things? Because the words came out of the mouth of the commander of the Lord's army. Therefore, friend, it was the word of God. Do you see that this morning? What came out of the commander's mouth was the word of God. If I say the word worship and I asked you to write down one word in your mind that represents worship, if, if you hadn't heard this, I guarantee you, friend, 95% of the people that are here this morning would have written down music. You hear the word worship, say, we had a great worship service. Oh, what'd they sing? That's what comes to people's mind. Friend, we, we don't see anything in here that involved music. And certainly, praise is a part of worship. But you hear me this morning. The essence of worship is always obedience. Without obedience, worship didn't take place. Friend, I grew up in an area much like around here, and I know the worship culture that used to exist. I mean, people judged how good a worship service you had by how many people testified. How many people did somebody run that morning? morning? Did somebody scream? Or shout? Did somebody ride piggyback around the well, if And if that didn't happen, then it really wasn't a worship service. And I want to remind you, friend, God's not impressed with our outward symbol and expression of worship unless it's coupled with and undergirded by a life of obedience. What demonstrated that Joshua truly worshipped the Lord is that he did what God said. Just what Brian said, friend, I think there would be so much of a different atmosphere in our world, and I think the church would be much more effective in great commission work if a lost and dying world saw a church being obedient in all things. Not just playing church. So his, his worship was marked by humility. It was also marked by obedience. But worship is also marked by thankfulness. The author of Psalm 136 Begins just to praise the Lord. Listen as I just read this to you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords for his mercy endures forever. Uh, verse 17 of that psalm. Listen. To him who struck down great kings, his mercy endures forever. And to him who slew famous kings, for his mercy endures forever. Listen. Sihon king of the Amorites for his mercy endures forever and Og king of Bashan for his mercy endures forever and gave their land as a heritage to who the nation of Israel his mercy endures forever a heritage to Israel his servant for his mercy endures forever. Worship should be coupled with praise. But we are so prone, friend, just to ask for prayer. But do we readily the same, friend, give a report and give honor and praise to Jesus for his faithfulness in the answer of those prayers and in his work in our lives? True worship is always marked by humility, by obedience, but also by thankfulness. Not only is it a warrior for Christ's life marked by sacred worship, but don't you to notice also? His surrendered will. His surrendered will. Uh, The Bible says in verse number 14 that in his response after he fell down and worshipped, he says, what does my Lord say to his servant? Now listen, obedience won't take place unless there's a surrendered will. And so he realizes now he's not in charge anymore. You see, Joshua, Moses has died. Joshua, now you're in command. God's been dealing with him. But now Jesus is on the scene. And Joshua realizes he's not in command anymore. And friend, listen, the re- he wasn't anyway. But now he has admitted that. Positionally, he has submitted himself to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now listen, I want to give some of you a reality check this morning. You may be here and Christ isn't lord of your life. And you say, well, I'm in control of my Friend, you're not in control of your life. You couldn't draw your next breath unless God allowed it. That Listen, that's just the foolish lie Satan's led you to believe that you're in charge. Of, you're not in charge of anything. You can't do anything, friend, if it wasn't for the grace and mercy of Almighty God. So Joshua just admitted what he already knew. He said, Lord, you're in charge. He says, Lord, what does my Lord say to his servant? He's second in command now. It'd be a great day in our church. It'd be a great day in your marriage, in your life, in every relationship you have, friend, if at every moment we would simply admit, we're not in charge of anything. It's the Lord who's in charge, and we every day position ourselves. That's what Jesus said in 9.23, daily. We're to take up our cross, we're to deny ourselves, and we're to follow Him. He's not an asset. He's not walking along with us where we want to go while we're following our heart's desires and chasing our heart's dreams. Friend, when you really become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you die to those things and you give your life to him. And So the reason that Joshua was so effective as a warrior was he had a surrendered will, Matthew six thirty three, but seek ye First, the kingdom of God. That's Christ's rule over my life. It begins with that. And then I'm to seek the kingdom. That is, I'm to try to build the kingdom that Christ died for. One soul at a time. That's the fight that we're to be involved in. Listen, the nation of Israel, they've got a great wall that's in front of them. It stands between them and victory. And we have a great wall that's in front of us. It's everything, friend, that goes into the lostness and the challenges and the difficulties that keep us from presenting the gospel and from people re- uh, receiving that. And then it really just begins. That's when discipleship happens. And there's even more of a wall then to try to get people to grow, to understand the commands of Christ. And then the other walls is to encourage people to continue to serve. Don't, don't become a statistic. That you just become one of those people in the church directory that the new pastor asks. Now, who's this? Well, they got hurt or they quit. There's, there's always the story. They're not serving God anymore. They, they quit. Joshua had a surrendered will. We see that in the life of the Apostle Paul. Begin Acts chapter 9 after the Lord spoke to him. And then, Josh, and then Paul says in Acts chapter 9, verse 6, he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? He says, what do you want me to do? My friend, you'll you'll never be the warrior for Christ that He deserves for you to be, that's actively involved every day in great commission warfare if you don't have that attitude that Paul had. And you can see it demonstrated in Acts chapter 16. I don't have time to develop it now. I'm going to as the Lord leads some Sunday night. But don't miss this. You see the Apostle Paul and those that are with him in his ministry party. Trying to find a place to serve. They want to share the gospel. God wants all people to be saved. They tried to ease into one town. The Holy Spirit wouldn't permit them to go there. They would back back. They'd try to ease into another town. But the Holy Spirit wouldn't permit them to go there. And so they eased back. Just continuing to wait for direction from God. And God finally comes to them and tells them. I want you to go to Macedonia. They respond. They go quickly. They meet Lydia They share the gospel. She saved. Her whole household is saved. And as a result, an entire church is planted in Philippi. How did that happen? Because the apostle Paul, just like Joshua, had a surrendered will. And friend, you'll never be fully used of God if you don't have that same surrendered will. It really bears the question today. Look at me. Who's commanding all phases of your life? Not just, part, not just the ones you can't. But who's commanding all phases? Friend, I remind you the essence of lordship is this. If Christ is not lord over every single area of your life, he is not lord of your life. He's not lord. Who's commanding your life today? And the third I want you to notice, not only is there a sacred worship in the life of a warrior for Christ, surrender and will, but also there's a sanctified walk. Look at verse number 15. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandal from your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Well, this is coupled with worship. This is a sign of humility. He humbled himself. He, he took his shoe off. But something was being revealed. Even this pagan, dirty, dark land of Jericho, listen, that had sinned against a flood of light, So much light God had shined into Jericho. Rahab testified of that. He says, we have heard how God has been with you. We've heard what God did to Sihon. we heard what God did to Og. We've, We've heard about God. And so Rahab believed. She trusted in God. Nobody else did. They rejected the testimony. Even the ground was polluted by the the life that these people lived. But all it took, friend, was the presence of Jesus Christ and that dirty pagan land all of a sudden became holy. Isn't that something? And he says, look, you need to take your sandal off, which is infected with the polluted dirtiness that you've been walking on because your own holy ground. And friend, holiness is something that's not talked or preached about in a lot of churches anymore. You say the word holiness, and people begin to think you know, about weirdness. That You know that during a worship service, somebody's going to be in the corner barking like a dog or talking like a chainsaw that's idling or something. And friend, that's not what holiness is. Holiness is total, complete separation to the exclusive use of God. That is, there is no sin between us and God. And I'm telling you, friend, I have had so many foolish conversations with individuals and families in ministry about how close they can get to the fire without being burned, rather than how close to the likeness, Romans eight twenty nine of Jesus Christ they can be. Jesus said, and, and for 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. Uh, but as he who called you is holy, be you, be you also holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Christ said, be holy, for I am holy. God demands holiness. It's, it's not a choice. It, it is something that God demands, and he deserves. The Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter six. In and, and verse number 17, he says to this church that dealt with so much worldliness that was all around it, don't, don't be like everybody else. He says, therefore, come ye out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch the unclean thing. Isaiah uh, uh, 52 verse 11 says, and, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. And and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Listen to chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What a difference the church could make in the world if we wouldn't laugh at sin... We wouldn't laugh at unholy, but we would see sin the way God sees it. Friend, I want to remind you, even your white sins nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. And and people have such flippant, casual callousness about these things. If I said two things right now, and I told you, that some of you would start laughing about it. Would start laughing. If I talked about speeding this morning, willful breaking of the speed limit, some of you would start laughing about that. Friend, it is the law of the land not to break the speed limit if only in in, in an emergency. And some people boast about it like it's some badge of honor, and it's sin. It's sin. The law of the land says the speed limit is this. And people sit and laugh about, well, I'm just going to drive what I want to. You're rebelling against the law of land, and the Word of God says we're to obey it. Men sit and laugh about, you know, I I killed this many, but I didn't use my tags. That's sin. That's sin. Well, I just changed the stickers, you know, to get, it's not a big deal. You robbed somebody of, of the payment that they were deserved. Little white things. Friend, Jesus said, Be holy, for I am holy. Is it any wonder that the world laughs at the church? There was a day, friend, when the church had influence in the world. Just like in the life of Elisha. Just before Elisha died, friend, just before he died, the Bible says that they buried him, and as soon as he died the Moabite raiders invaded the land. You say, what's the connection? The connection is this, that he was so full of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit in his life held back the entire nation of Moab from invading the land. 2 Kings chapter 13 and verse number 20. But as soon as he died, the Moabite raiders began to invade the land. Why is our country in the shape that it's in? Why is there such lawlessness? Friend, I'm telling you because there's been a lot of Christians die, but there haven't been a lot of people born again. We have buried old-fashioned Christians that were full of the holiness of God, and what is left are fence riders who laugh about white sins. Is it any wonder? Is anybody understanding what I'm sharing this morning? And so we, we gripe and curse the darkness, friend, and the answer is to turn the lights on. And we do that one soul at a time, but it begins with me. God, is there any unconfessed sin in my life? Are there, there are habits of these white sins that I laugh about? God, break my heart and help me to have a holy walk before you, so full of the Holy Spirit Elisha was and Joshua was, that God could use them to do great things. The fourth mark in the warrior for Christ's life is that of spiritual warfare. Listen, there's a time to train, but then there's a time to fight. There's a time when somebody's got to go to the battlefield and start fighting. And friend, we can have all the courses in how to share your faith, all the different outlines, and heaven knows there's 1,012 of them. And if they're all biblically based, Great. But sooner or later, somebody's got to go fight and share the gospel. Sooner or later, somebody has to disciple. Sooner or later, somebody has to encourage somebody to stay in the fight and to finish for Jesus Christ. Notice very quickly this morning. His warfare, this spiritual warfare that Joshua was involved in, it it was marked by an embracing of God's plan. Now, he had surrendered his will, but he also surrendered his plans. God's going to have a very unusual plan that Christ is going to reveal. You're not going to charge the gate. We're not going to give you um, you some kind of special missile. You're not even going to climb over the wall and breach it. What you're going to do is, for the first six days, you're going to walk around the city every morning once. You're not going to say a word. Priests are going to blow their horns. And don't you know, friend, that all the armies of Jericho, they stood the first day and they're like, what's going on? And the second day, they started laughing. So I thought this was some big, mean, tough army. And they did this for six days, but then the seventh day, they were to march around it seven times, and then they were to shout. Friend, if you had gathered all the world military leaders together who had been successful, and you had asked them to pool all of their knowledge, everything that they knew, about how to take down a walled city, no one would have said, this tactically is the best thing to do. You see, friend, God gave him a plan to where man couldn't get the glory, but only God could. Only God could. And the reason the wall fell, friend, was because he embraced God's plan. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30 says this, By faith, the wall of Jericho fell. Not by man's might, not by the swords, not by a catapult, not by any invention of man, but by faith. Faith in what? The Word of God. God said if you'll do it this way, it'll work. I truly believe there's some people, they really don't believe the gospel can change this world. Friend, if you've been saved, it changed you. And you're in your heart before you got saved, were as wicked as any other lost person. Lost is lost. People talk as everything's just completely without hope. Friend, we're in a dark day, but I'm telling you, the gospel of Jesus Christ changes things. It changes things. The walls will come down. It says, by faith, he responds. So he embraced God's plan, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. He'll direct your path. Christ and Christ alone was directing this battle. His sp- spiritual warfare was marked by an embracing of God's plan. Not only that, but it was marked by an endurance to the completion. An endurance to the completion. Again, I've already shared with you, six days they marched around, nothing happened. And Don't you know on that seventh they were like, "Early, again, early Oh man, we're getting up early again. We're going to walk around. The, well, nothing's happened yet. Nothing's happened yet. And they marched around six times on the seventh day. Don't you know there's some people that's like, why are we doing this? Can't we just stop? Nothing's happening. Friend, listen. It was that seventh trip that did it. If they'd have stopped at six, the wall wouldn't have fallen. They had to endure to the completion. Some of you have somebody you're, you're, you're so burdened for, you've been praying for, you've been sharing the gospel. And there's a whole lot of facets, friend, about how hard their heart is, whether they've crossed God's deadline. But God didn't call us to judge any of those things, He called us to sow seed. That's all we do is just share the Word of God and pray for people. And who knows whether the next time, friend, you share with this person is going to be the time that the walls fall down. We're just to keep moving forward. Friend, I assure you, no one in this room gets more frustrated with the scene of ministry in the South as the one you're looking at this morning. But God didn't call us to be an evaluator fully of all these things. That doesn't mean we don't judge the times and pray for discernment to know how to best respond. But God calls us every morning, friend, to get up, to put our big boy, big girl breeches on, our gospel boots, our sword, which is the Word of God under our arm, and to move forward in faithfulness. And just endure. I don't want God to find me either by death or at the rapture, sitting under a tree, whining, oh, woe is me, so full of self-pity, because things didn't go my way, I want him to find me in faithfulness. Serving God in whatever front and in whatever field he calls me to serve in. The reason Joshua was effective is because he led the people to endure to the end. Many missed their miracle, listen to me because they quit before the wall falls. You keep pressing forward in faithfulness. Not only that, but his life as a warrior was marked, his spiritual warfare, by an, ex- by an expression of the plan of salvation. So they walked around the seventh time, they shouted, the wall fell. But I love verse number 17. It says, you know, you're to go tell Rahab. God saved her. and She and all her family are going to be redeemed and so they went to Rahab and did this verse number 22 go to the harlot's house and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her and friend listen isn't it something psalm 91 he who abides in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty all the walls fell Rahab's house was on the wall but Rahab's still alive God put a hand of protection over Rahab. Judgment fell on Jericho, but she was under the blood. That scarlet thread of redemption, friend, stood between her and judgment. How did she know that? It was from the mouth of the children of Israel. A warrior for Christ, friend, shares the good news. That's our mission. Reaching, teaching, and encouraging. And they didn't walk past that. Rahab and all her family needed to know how to fully escape and how to fully follow. And so in the midst of judgment against a city who had sinned against the flood of light, Joshua shared the good news. Friend, we're to keep doing that in these days amidst all the darkness, amidst all the plagues of immorality that are around us. Just keep telling people how they can escape the judgment of death. There are lost people all around you every day that need to hear the good news. Fourth notice, uh, the fourth part of his spiritual warfare uh, was, was an evading of moral pitfalls. You listen to me, friend. You will never be successful as a warrior for Christ if your life is marked and marred by sin. God won't use you. You'll not have joy. Just ask David. You'll try to go through the motions. You'll try to fake it, and there'll be no power in your life. Second Kings chapter 6 An individual was trying to make a tree fall. They were building a uh, new dormitory for the prophet students. And you'll remember, the axe head came off the tool God had given him to accomplish a tree falling. That was the task. He lost the cutting edge. And like a dummy, I guess, he could have just kept swinging the handle. But nothing's going to take place. And so many soldiers of Christ, they lose the cutting edge through immorality, and they just keep trying to go through the motions, but they and everybody that's close to them knows something's not right. They've lost the, they've lost the cutting edge. You, you must evade moral pitfalls. Look at verse number 18 of chapter 6. And Joshua, through the, through the inspiration of the Lord sharing with him, says, And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things. Now, remember... This was a city that was given to idolatry, wicked idolatry. And there were parts of worship, that helps of worship, idols and different things that were, were there laying around. And they, listen, they could have been sold for a lot of money or melted down and taken all the gold and all the things that are there. But he says, by all means, you must abstain from the accursed things. Lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel accursed. You're to stay away from these things. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 25 through 26, God had already told the nation of Israel this through Moses. When you take these pagan lands, don't take of the accursed things, or you're going to be accursed like them. And friend, I'm telling you, that Satan's poor. That, well, I'm saved, and I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I can watch this, and it's not going to affect me. I can, I can listen to this, and it's really no big deal. Friend, you'll begin to think like it, and you'll begin to speak like it, and before you know it, that will become your world view. I know what some of you are saying right now. Well, that's just legalistic. You go on, dummy. That's what Satan wants you to believe. All legalistic. I'm sure someone in the crowd says, Oh, Joshua, he's so legalistic. I mean, there's some good gold on those things. And then certainly somebody in the crowd tried the spiritual turnout. Why, we could melt that stuff down and give it to the church. Are you kidding me? God said, don't touch it, don't argue, don't touch it. Don't touch it. One man didn't. He didn't listen. Achan didn't listen. And it plagued the entire nation of Israel. Ask David what happened. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse number 10. Nathan said, the sword will never depart from your house. Hear me this morning, friend. Thank God for the truth of 1 John 1, 9. That if we sin and we confess our sin, He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But hear me, that's positionally with God. But you may not live long enough to get your testimony and influence back. The damage can already be done. You you can be right with God, but with man, nobody's going to trust you again. And so you better be serious-minded about moral pitfalls because when your life becomes marked and marred by one, it can so affect and make you ineffective in spiritual warfare for the rest of your life. And then also, and we close with this, when it comes to spiritual warfare, expect God to keep His promise. Just expect God to keep His promise. Verse number 10, Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your mouth, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day that you shout, then you shall shout. Verse number 16, And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And so they had to fully obey the Lord. The Lord had given the city to them, but it just hadn't happened yet. God said the city is yours, but they weren't in possession of it. Remember, friend, when it comes to spiritual things, we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. God had already promised that the city was going to fall. So how could he be so confident? Look at verse number 5 of chapter 6. Because God said, it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn and you hear the sound of the trumpet that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Look at your Bibles. Don't just lean forward and look at me. Look at them. You need to see this. It says, then the wall of the city will fall down flat and all the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Who said that? God said it. God said, this is the plan. And if you do it, the walls going to fall flat. How could Joshua share with such great confidence? Because God had said so he could boldly say. Now I'm going to ask you to do something real quick, and we don't ever really do this, but turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 13 very quickly. We'll close with that text this morning. Hebrews 13. Remember the Bible says in Hebrews 11.30 that by faith the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Listen to what the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 13, and verse number 5 says. Let your conduct be such without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Listen now. If you're looking at the Bible, say Amen. For he himself has what? Said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So then we may boldly what? Say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Look at again at the latter part of verse 5. He himself has said, verse 6, so we may boldly say. Friend, if God has made a promise then you can boldly expect God to keep it. You can keep it. Whatever the promise is, friend, that speaks to whatever your wall is that you're facing, God said, we can boldly say. And so as Joshua talked to the people, listening, he wasn't walking around with his fingers crossed. Saying, oh, I hope this seventh time works. He was just waiting for it to fall, friend. Why? Because God said. That's the kind of faith that we have to have in these days. Whatever God has command, whatever God has promised His church, we've got to be able to boldly say and expect God to keep His promises because He said that He would. Hebrews thirteen five. He Himself has said, "We may boldly say, faith is boldly saying what God's Word has already promised." Word of God said, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. They just boldly trusted in what God had promised. How does someone get saved? You boldly trust what the Word of God says. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Friend, listen, anybody you try to pray with, hear me this morning. It says, Do you repent of your sins, I have. The Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. If you've done that, I've done it. Do you believe you're saved? I'm not sure. Let me go ahead and tell you. They didn't get saved. You say, well, they said the words, but they didn't believe the words with all their heart. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's by faith that we're born again. This faith in the plan of salvation. How is someone safe? Because they believe the word of God. They truly believe that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, That whosoever means me. The Holy Spirit has enlightened that text. By faith I believe it. Why? Because God has said it. So I boldly say I've been born again because God said He'd burn me again if I'd turn and trust Him. Do you see that? That's, faith's the difference. Faith is simply boldly expecting God to do what he's promised he would do. And a warrior for Christ, friend, they expect God to do great things. I want to ask you a question. Be honest. Did you come here this morning really expecting God to do anything in your life? When you open your Bible tomorrow morning, are you just checking the blocks so you don't feel conviction? Or do you really expect God to show you something and to change your life by what you see? Do you really expect tomorrow God to bring somebody across your path that you can share the gospel with? Do you really expect that what you have to share and what God can do through your life can impact them? Do you really expect and believe that that God can do something through the ministry of His Word and through the ministry of His Holy Spirit when you're gone? That's the reason so many soldiers don't see victories because they don't expect God to keep His Word. They don't expect. The warrior for Christ expects God to do great things because of what he's promised. Well, what do we do with all this this morning? Number one, don't pack up mentally. Are you a warrior for Christ or a draft dodger? That's a good question to ask this morning, isn't it? For the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, God, not not what I say, just because I've got the t-shirt that I bought down at the bookstore. But God, when you really look at me, Am I a warrior for the Lord Jesus Christ or am I just a spiritual pacifist, a draft dodger? I want all the freedoms, but I don't want the fight. It's a good question to ask today. Number two, you know, besides God's call to Great Commission service, I wonder if there's another wall that's before somebody today. It might be a relationship, a wall of health, something you're dealing with, something on the job, something that's beyond your control that you can't do. Just some wall that's before you. Friend, listen, God's got a plan to deal with the wall. He's got a plan. You've just got to continue to surrender lordship of your life to him, trust his plan, and stay faithful in the fight, and he'll work it out, Romans eight twenty eight. You, you either believe that by faith or you don't. Romans eight twenty eight says God will work it out for what? Good. You're good, his glory. By faith, you either believe it or you don't. Boldly expect God to do something. I wonder, are, are you walking forward in faith and earnest expectation in every part of your life? Close with this. Have you ever enlisted in the Lord's army? Has there ever been a time that you've truly turned from sin and said, Lord Jesus Christ, I'll fight for you. Do that today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you've never trusted Christ, turn from sin, surrender your life to his lordship now. Won't you do that? He died for you. He loves you. He wants to save you if you'll only surrender your life to His Lordship today. Tell Him so in a prayer of faith, believing the words that you're saying that you truly want to turn and you truly turn your life over to His Lordship, believing He's going to save you from your sin. Pray just like this. God, forgive me, a sinner. I believe Christ died for me. I believe He rose again. I turned from all my sin. Jesus, you said if I would confess you as Lord, you would save me from the penalty of sin. And I do that right now. I trust you to be Lord of my life. I trust you to save me. I believe you have because I've confessed you as Lord of my life. If you prayed that prayer, you meant it. Won't you make your way to the front? When they begin to sing here in just a minute. I want to encourage you in what God wants to do next in your life. You know you're saved, but God's convicted you. Friend, you're not really in the fight. Whatever the excuse, whatever the reason, you're really not a soldier of Christ. You're lacking in some of these areas that were in Joshua's life that must be in ours. Yield yourself afresh and anew to the Lord today. It may not be Great Commission related, but you've got a wall in front of you today. Trust God's plan. Expect Him, friend. Expect that He's going to fulfill Romans eight twenty-eight. He's going to work it out for good. And the good ultimately is always this. It's the next verse. You're going to look more like Jesus And less like you when you come out of the valley and the wall falls. Father, I pray, speak your will to your church. God, I pray we'll all leave today with a clean conscience, rightly related to you, ready to face God, a new week, on mission with you, sharing the gospel to a lost and dying world, and watching the walls fall in their life one soul at a time. Bless this invitation. Be Lord of it. It's in Christ's name we pray. And amen. Let's everyone stand our feet.